Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Call Talk for Wednesday, June 16th. Our topic today is compensation strategies for agents and supervisors. During the call, we invite you to ask questions via email at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com or chat on calltalk.tv if you're logged into our program. You can also call in and ask the host your questions and interact with the show. The number to call in is 347-857-3117. That number is also on uh, calltalk.tv if you're logged in, in case you forget the number. Everyone who asks a question via email or phone on the show will receive a free copy of Bruce's book, Benchmarking at its Best, and one person will be chosen at random to win an in-depth reality check benchmarking report valued at $1,500. Remember, Call Talk is an offered as a service to our best practice community and is free of vendor content. And now I'd like to introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Thank you very much, Sean, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Uh, before I begin, I just want to give a quick shout-out for a special survey we're launching on workforce optimization. All the listeners on our email list should be getting their invitation shortly, and uh, we really urge you to open and take the survey, which is it's definitely longer than our usual OMS, one-minute survey, but I guarantee it'll uh, pay you back big time in terms of a free report full of a lot of juicy best practices information on workforce management and optimization. So uh, please keep an eye out and uh, complete it when you get it. Okay, well listen, our listeners chose today's topic, agent and supervisor compensation. And this is actually a good time to address this topic uh, because a lot of you will be doing your budgeting during the summer and fall. Any changes to something like compensation generally need some lead time to work through the system. So if you hear something today that you'd like to present, you've got time to do it for 2011. So we, we figured this was a good time to do that. So I'd like to welcome our co-host for the call, John Chatterley. Uh, he's an industry expert who's been on the program before. He has over 30 years of experience in really every aspect of uh, call center industry, from building them to staffing them to, uh, to compensating them, studying them, and, and writing about them. Uh, he's the author and content art, uh, editor of a uh, number of articles, white papers, and books. So welcome back to Call Talk, John. Well, thank you, Bruce. It's good to be here. Good. Uh, so, so you want to talk about agent compensation? <laughs> well, actually, Bruce, I'd prefer to talk about call center expert compensation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, me too. I'll tell you what, we'll get you a gift card honorarium for Starbucks. How's that? Well... I don't drink coffee, so (laughs) (laughs) if you can do better than that. (laughs) Darn it, I was going to give you uh, double shots on all of the lotties as a performance incentive. Well, anyway, uh, John, let me ask you, how how do most call centers look at compensation? And in your opinion, how should they look at compensation? Well, uh, actually, uh, most uh, call centers still look at things very conventionally. That is to say they... They uh, they see what the what the market will bear in the in the uh, uh, labor pool uh, or the geographical area they're located, and then they tend to set their their uh, compensation to be uh, just slightly better than the call center down the street. Uh, what they should see compensation as uh, as is a, a corollary to their overall strategy and mission. So. 
I ask everyone on this show to ask themselves, what is my mission statement, what are our goals, and does our compensation strategy uphold and promote the mission and the goals in a concrete fashion? If not, change something. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's good advice. A lot of times we forget that we always should uh, check uh, all our management decisions against our mission statement and our strategies for the uh, the um, call center, and we find in many cases that the uh, compensation approach really does not fit with the company's mission statement or with uh, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, well, tell us some more, John, uh, from the studies that you've done, et cetera. Well, we we did a we've done several studies over the, you know, over the past year year and a half. Uh, we did a compensation. Uh, uh, survey uh, about a year ago, and uh, we got some interesting results out of it. One of the things we uh, we noticed was that uh, the compensation is is uh, you know traditionally male. Uh, here comes the uh, the gender bias. Uh, male manage, uh, male agents, uh, supervisors, managements earn more than the than the their female counterparts for, with the same job title. That's uh, interesting. That's interesting. And, and uh, what, what is the gap? We wouldn't sort of expect in 2010 to still be seeing that, but uh, what, what, how much is that gap, John? Uh, based on our survey results, that gap ranges about uh, 10%. 10%. Okay. So maybe a little less than some time ago, but still kind of surprising that it's still there and uh, probably something that, uh, the listeners to this program should be aware of too, just to make sure that they avoid uh, well, uh, avoid being unfair, which is the main thing. You want to do the right thing by your people. And second, there's also a liability aspect that could come in if uh, really there's a gender bias on a systematic basis. Uh, interesting, John. Okay, what else do we have? Uh, well, a couple of other uh, interesting findings. One. One that I found particularly interesting was that uh, the most, uh, 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 well, where incentive compensation is concerned, um, the highest incentives uh, seem to be, pay, uh, be those incentives uh, tied to performance uh, or to tenure, uh, uh, that is uh, time on the job uh, or performance, and uh, lowest uh, Incentive has to do with customer satisfaction performance. Uh, that is to say, uh, tying the level of customer satisfaction uh, survey scores to uh, the agents who service them. Uh, mm. okay. Only five percent of those that responded uh, indicated that the, that they include that as part of their compensation strategy. Okay. Wow. Those are those are very interesting numbers. Well, let's let's take those uh, each separately and analyze them in a way that uh, could be useful for our audience. So, if we've got uh, the longer term people getting paid higher, uh, there can be two dynamics going on there. One is that longer term people tend to be more experienced and uh, therefore hopefully more efficient and therefore be worth a higher pay. Also, there's sort of an expectation or a hope as we sort of move through our careers and through life, that there will be increases that will keep us loyal to the company. And we all know that uh, the cost of turnover is high enough, so it might uh, warrant a strategy in which you 
uh, have higher pay to keep your good people as they as they mature in their jobs. And uh, John, just in terms of the cost of turnover, which our audience could use in terms of doing some calculations on that, uh, we've we've had uh, uh, sort of studies that have shown six to seven thousand dollars is the average cost per turnover. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. That's the co- that's what it costs them to recruit, hire, and uh, and train a, a replacement uh, representative. And actually, that cost is just a, a monetary figure based on what it co- costs them to hire somebody new to fill a fill a position. But it doesn't take into account the legacy uh, uh, experience that the person who left uh, took with them, and that that uh, you. You can't put a price on it, but but it's uh, it's a it's one of those invisible costs that can drive the cost the uh, the net cost of uh, of hiring a, uh, or of of high turnover that can drive the net cost of replacement uh, up quite mm-hmm. a bit. Okay, so so there's uh, some logic here, and uh, as long as we're not facing the other side of the coin, which is uh, retired in place people who are just sort of long-tenured, uh, not really doing that great a job, but getting more money simply because they've been there for a longer period of time, then uh, then it's justifiable. In the case where we have non-performers who are getting higher pay, then really we should be looking at uh, the uh, coaching out uh, instead of coaching up type of situation, unless we can find some way to, uh, in fact, motivate those people to re-energize and to do a good job. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. Okay. And the second thing that you were talking about, uh, let's dig down into that as well. The um, uh, Sorry, could you just repeat that again? Uh, <laughs> if, um, my, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, I think the second – I think the second thing that I mentioned was that, that – uh, well, I'm fumbling here because, frankly, I can't remember what the second. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. No, no, because there's a lot of good stuff here. So, uh, you know, in terms of uh, being able to uh, justify, you know, higher wages uh, for for tenured people, that's uh, important. There's also uh, skill levels, right? Uh, one of the other bases on which people will um, be, have differentiated. Um, Pay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the second thing that you were mentioning had to do with uh, incentive pay, and that only five percent right, right. had that. Okay, good. We're back on track, right? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for reminding. Maybe I do need a cup of co- coffee after. <laughs> That's right. I'll send the shot your way. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, because now that's very interesting that uh, such a low proportion include incentive comp. Uh, Any thoughts on that, John? Well, uh, incentives, uh, as as long as incentives are tied to the mission statement and the goal of the center, I think they're good. And in fact, I think they're a very necessary motivator to tie the performance of the center into uh, the performance of the agents themselves with respect to their mission and to to offer them incentives to get them there mm-hmm. there's not there's nothing worse than having than having uh, an incentive program that is completely disassociated with the goals of the of the company for you know and to go back to something I mentioned a little earlier 
if the incentive, if the goal of the company is to attract and retain uh, uh, customers, uh, then uh, customer service should be one of the highest components of their incentive program. Mm, mm, absolutely, absolutely. And let me just uh, talk about one uh, one situation that we dealt with last year and that worked out very well where we were trying to uh, apply our balanced scorecard approach to uh, call center metrics to individual agents and to their compensation. So uh, the balanced scorecard approach means that you look at both those metrics that relate to quality, so customer satisfaction, uh, first call resolution, uh, that kind of thing, and on the other hand, the cost-related metrics. And uh, so in this particular uh, case, and perhaps this could apply to a lot of people in the, uh, the audience, we took certain uh, metrics that the uh, agent had to, quote, unquote, pass in, in, ter- in order to be eligible for incentive pay. Once they passed those quality metrics, they were eligible for some very attractive uh, incentives with regard to the quantity of calls they took. So uh, this obviously requires a call center that is well-structured, has good reporting, and has good uh, customer satisfaction uh, metrics and and ways of of measuring. So in that case, if they had the uh, appropriate customer satisfaction score, they also had the appropriate quality score from their monitors, they had uh, the appropriate attendance record and adherence records, those were the uh, barriers that they had to get through. That was sort of uh, passing the post. If they uh, had the appropriate levels for all of those metrics, then they were able to make more money based on the number of calls per hour that they made. And uh, what we did was to help the center figure out what the cost, uh, or actually the savings would be in terms of upping the number of calls taken per hour. And uh, we uh, basically took that, split it down the middle between the company and the uh, agents, and the agents were able to make more money, actually considerably more money if they were good, uh, because they were operating at a kind of a so-so level, <laughs> to be frank. And it meant that they, uh, <clears throat> it was important as well for their supervisors to coach them in techniques to have uh, lower talk times, lower handle times, without compromising quality and uh, without compromising customer satisfaction. Uh, so that all worked, and uh, it c- can be very satisfying. And uh, uh, if that's the kind of program that you think could work in your center, then uh, you know it's something you probably should be thinking about now for 2011. Uh, John, back over to you. Any thoughts? Uh, well, I think, that's a, I think that's a very effective strategy that the uh, – Talk straight or go straight to the point of uh, tying uh, compensation and incentives to uh, the uh, overall mission of the call center, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and I applaud and endorse that that approach. I think that's I think that generally should be acri- uh, applied clear across the industry. But uh, what I'm wondering is uh, you know what what our uh, our audience our listening audience uh, thinks about that. And uh, and what their experiences are. So uh, let me just throw in a suge- the uh, the invitation that if any of you out there have thoughts al- along these lines or on this topic, please call in and uh, 
and uh, give us the benefit of your your thoughts, your thinking, questions that you'd like to ask, and so forth. Okay, very good. In fact, uh, Sean indicates that we have uh, some questions coming in. So, Sean? Okay, the first question comes from Brad via chat. <clears throat> Brad asks, what do you think about higher pay for late and weekend shifts? Mm, okay, uh, uh, very good practical question, John. Oh, that's a good and practical question. In my experience, uh, it's uh, not only is it a good idea, uh, it, it overcomes the uh, it, it can tend to overcome the tendency uh, in a call center for agents to want to bid for primetime shifts. If they see that they're going to make uh, money if they work weekends or uh, make added uh, money if they work on weekends or if they work uh, on a late night shift, uh, that can help to offset the uh, that tendency and encourage uh, agents to bid for those shifts uh, uh, and, uh, and, and thereby generate the additional income. I think it's a great idea. Uh, from both the company's point of view as well as the uh, the agent's point of view. Okay, very good. And, you know, it is applied in many centers, but there are centers that don't have the differentiation. And uh, I agree with you, John. I can uh, uh, you know, agree with the, the points that you just made. Okay, great. I guess we have some more. Sean, do you have another question as well? I do. Um, Mike asks, uh, what is your advice on higher pay for bilingual, multilingual agents and supervisors? Uh, what is the trade-off cost of interpretation service? Yeah. Okay. Uh, John, do you want me to take that? Yeah, I, I was going to say go ahead and take that because I know you were involved recently in a study on that. Sì, va bene. Io parlerò in italiano così tutti possono capirmi. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, actually, bilingual uh, situations are really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, we think in terms of Spanish primarily here in the United States, but, of course, uh, in Canada, where we have a lot of members of our community, it's uh, uh, French as well. I happen to be bilingual Italian and English. That doesn't necessarily get me too far, uh, but it is a lot of fun. So the, the advice there is that it really depends on where you're located and what your hiring uh, area is like. I've been in areas where I've given the advice, no, nope, uh, you have such a large pool of people who are, in fact, uh, bilingual that you don't need to differentiate and, in fact, perhaps shouldn't because wherever you differentiate, there's always going to be a little bit of resentment that, that can creep in. If it's justifiable uh, and, in fact, acknowledged because of the fact that you have to uh, recruit uh, from a smaller number of people, then you should have that differential. Um, if there is a large pool of people uh, who are bilingual, then you, you probably don't have to offer that extra compensation. Now, there's a lot of uh, places where it's kind of in between and where you have a push from the, uh, the bilingual agents to have uh, additional compensation. And in that, it's really sort of case by case. You have to decide what the best thing is for your call center taking everything into account. Um, and uh, the other thing that you need to do, obviously, is if you have those bilingual agents, make sure that they're optimally utilized, because I have seen situations where bilingual agents are not only higher compensated, but under less used uh, because of the queuing system. So just be sure that those people are, in fact, earning their pay uh, if, you, if you give them uh, higher pay. 
So I think it's a case-by-case, location-by-location decision that you need to make. Obviously, in Montreal, you don't need to necessarily compensate people separately for their French and their English skills. Um, and uh, so, you know, the same for supervisors, I'd say, is, is something. One other calculation that you can make, and I'm picking up on Brad's comment here on the uh, trade-off of the cost of interpretation service, as you're thinking about this, if you decide that you want to go for it and want to make the case to senior management for it, uh, consider the cost of uh, the interpretation system service and the extra talk time that uh, bilingual interpreted calls take in terms of coming up with the business case for justifying uh, the, um, uh, the additional cost of uh, compensating those uh, people on a higher rate. So I think there's both a, uh, a case that you have to decide within the context of your own center and your own hiring basin, and then there's uh, the business case if you decide to take it up to senior management uh, that can, can utilize this trade-off with the cost of interpretation service. Uh, John, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, well, I was just, wa- uh, just wondering uh, uh, a little bit about what you were talking about regarding the the uh, the location of the center uh, mm-hmm. with respect to the uh, available bilingual uh, uh, pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, are you suggesting that 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 centers that have a uh, a location, say in the southwest, where there may tend to be a higher uh, 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 bilingual population? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Don't don't need to necessarily think about incentive uh, uh, compensation for bilingual agents. That's exactly right. Yeah, if you're in a uh, hiring area where there are a lot of bilingual people, in fact, you may even have a majority bilingual people in your hiring pool, then uh, there's not going to be the same pressure for it, and uh, or the, the same necessity for it. Uh, if, on the other hand, you're in a, uh, you know, if you're in North or South Dakota, you probably will need that. Uh, I use the uh, the example of Montreal uh, for French-English uh, speakers. You have uh, most of the population who are bi- bilingual there. Uh, on the other hand, if you were to go to Vancouver, uh, then you may uh, have a differential payment for those people with the French language skills. So, uh, yeah. Okay. You got it. Good. Okay, Sean, do we have another one? Yeah, this one uh, came from Guest. He didn't put his name down, but uh, his question is, higher pay for longer tenure for multi-skilling? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, John, would you like to take that one? Sure. Uh, actually, I'm I'm looking at the results of uh, one of our surveys uh, that's uh, – uh, said, uh, the question said, please select uh, uh, how how you handle advancement and job classification within your center. And uh, I can just kind of step through this. Uh, uh, the the highest percentage uh, of, uh, of, uh, of of job classification and advancement is based on agents being promoted uh, based on job performance compared to their peers. Uh, the second highest is agents promoted 
to a higher grade level as they acquire new skills or receive additional training. And then uh, the third on the list is uh, salary is based on tenure performance, but uh, it does not uh, result in advancement to a higher level. Uh, hmm. those, those top three represent over three quarters of the responses to our survey. And uh, uh, this is the, uh, the one that I, I pulled the, the next one, which is agents are promoted to a higher grade uh, job grade level based on customer satisfaction scores. That's where, where only 5% indicated that uh, their agents were given incentives and promotions based on uh, customer satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, and I think there needs to be, um, I mean, this, this, is a, this is the way things are these days uh, based on our survey, but uh, I don't think uh, that uh, companies uh, should overlook uh, that particular uh, aspect when they're considering, uh, uh, you know, what they use as a bar to measure uh, agent performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think there's, there's a, a lot of things that come into the mix here. Uh, and, and with the multi-skilling, obviously, that can be a nice way of having a, a staircase up in terms of compensation for people. Uh, and it's um, justified both in terms of their skill levels, which are useful to the company, and in terms of the optimization of call routing. So I was in another situation uh, recently where they were cross-training people uh, from two technical departments. And this way, uh, they were able to smooth out call flow considerably and uh, optimize their uh, utilization of people better. So, you know, I think that's a case where if you uh, make yourself more flexible through additional skilling, then it's uh, definitely something that should be recognized by the call center. Right. Uh, There's one other thing I wanted to highlight, Bruce, because uh, yep. I know the time is getting short, and I just thought I'd pass this along to the audience, and that is, uh, what, you know, what are the most frequent uh, additional benefits uh, that uh, that agents and supervisors are offered uh, in on top of their uh, on top of their uh, base compensation. So I thought I'd quickly step through those. Uh, the high the highest one uh, by quite a majority uh, quite a high a margin is uh, the 401k programs. Over mm -hmm. seven over 70 percent of the centers that. Uh, We've surveyed indicate that that's uh, that's the one that uh, is most popular and uh, f followed fairly closely behind is tuition reimbursement, and then third on the list is uh, stock options. Everything mm -hmm. else below that, uh, you know, is in the single digit range. So uh, mm -hmm. those three uh, represent the uh, the most often used and and most often desired. Uh, additional benefits uh, and uh, for employee compensation. Mm. Okay, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. And you know, on both the base compensation and the benefits that you've just talked about, too, uh, one of the things that a lot of people do and should do is to uh, understand what the going uh, benefits and pay rates are in their area. 
Um, that is sort of a conventional thing to do, but some centers don't do it, and uh, they they probably should. They should do a survey. Uh, sometimes uh, peer groups will get together in a certain region. Uh, either the call center people or the HR people will uh, get together with colleagues in the area, and they'll do a survey. Uh, use a third party if you need to. And uh, the other thing that you can do is to look at employee-oriented blogs in your region online. To see oh, what great saying. idea. Great idea. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> Social so fact, media has really opened up uh, an, a, a brand new way for people to find out what's going on. That's a great idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, in fact, there's a takeaway for people. You know, when you finish this, uh, uh, listening to this show, get on the uh, social media, on the Internet, and look yourselves up and see what people are saying about you uh, and including your compensation because that's one thing that certainly the younger generation talks about a lot more than perhaps the older generation used to. So uh, people won't hold any punches, so uh, that's a takeaway that would, would uh, suggest that you do. Um, wh one thing that we probably should mention before we get to the end of the half hour here is uh, uh, those areas, uh, those kinds of call centers that have uh, high incentive uh, potential because they deal with sales and with collections. And uh, we haven't gone into a lot of detail here. It's mainly been aimed at inbound customer service. But um, obviously, uh, the, the mission statements for companies that are involved in sales or uh, areas that are involved in collections are going to uh, be very much in favor of having good incentives for uh, agents to do that. So that should be uh, very carefully constructed and um, you know, make sure that people feel rewarded for uh, those difficult activities of collections and sales. Uh, John, did you want Absolutely. to add Absolutely. Uh, no, I, I think you've uh, capsulized it very well. I think that uh, uh, that using uh, using uh, performance in terms of sales, uh, your number of sales they get uh, is important uh, not only to the company, but uh, most companies that I know of uh, hire people based on their ability to sell and, and their and and then train them on how to be highly effective of that. And the same is true with uh, with collections. I will just add one footnote, and that is I recently talked to. A, the manager of an IRS center in uh, uh, in the southeast, who had uh, who indicated to me that one of the one of the screening uh, skills that they or screening uh, uh, tools that they use there is to screen for people for agents who can. Uh, who can be diplomatic because that center happened to be dealing with collections mm -hmm. of overdue taxes. Wow, yeah, no, that definitely, definitely. Uh, John, uh, Sean just got one more question. Maybe we can fit it in before we uh, finish up. What, what say, Sean? Uh, the question comes from another guest. <clears throat> what is the compensation scheme and philosophy for companies employing workers with multilingual skills? Mm-hmm, okay. Well, I think that... Uh, and here, multilingual skills, not just bilingual. Um, and, and I think, again, it, it depends on the area that you're in and the needs of the company in terms of the philosophy and the approach. 
So uh, as stated before, if you're in an area that has a lot of the uh, people with the language skills that you're talking about, and in fact uh, you can easily staff, then you don't necessarily have to uh, differentiate in terms of, uh, of uh, the compensation. I think that a lot here has to do with the same philosophy uh, that I was just talking about with regard to multi-skills. In other words, if this, in fact, is, allows you to be more flexible in terms of your utilization of the person because they're able to talk more, more languages with more people, uh, if, for example, there's a uh, regulatory requirement that you face or even a uh, situation of uh, legal responsibility where you want to be sure that you can find out if somebody calling in is having a problem or some, uh, there, there's some big deal you need to know about, then... Uh, take that into account. Uh, so, John, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, once again, Bruce, I think you, uh, I, I think you dealt with that question better than I could. So, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not multilingual. The only thing, the only language I can speak is is child talk to my grandkids and uh, and regular talk to to people <laughs> like you. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, I, I've got the Italian, the French, a little Spanish, and every once in a while some English. But anyway, so that's, that's about it. Okay, Sean, uh, back over to you. And thanks to everyone for, for their questions. Thank you, John. I really appreciated uh, working with you again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on the, on the show. Thank you very much. I would like to thank our co-host, John Charlie, as well, for his great insights. Thanks to all the participants for uh, their questions. Uh, it was a really great show. <clears throat> Don't forget you can sign up for our reality check survey to see how uh, your agent compensation compares to peers in your industry. It's a free survey. Just go to our website uh, to fill it out. Our winner today for the in-depth reality check is Mike. Mike, please send an email to talk at benchmarkportal.com for uh, information to get your free in-depth reality check. Our next show will be on Wednesday, June 30th, two weeks from today. Uh, after which we will return to our normal two-week uh, scheduling, July 7th. Our topic on June 30th will be taking a fresh look at your call center, big and small changes that can make a difference. We will be, we will be joined by industry expert and ergonomics layout and efficiency call center operations, Dr. Bill Davis. Whether you have a big budget for a major change or virtually no budget, Bill has really good advice you can take away and use to freshen your call center and make it better. Thanks again, everyone, and uh, have a great day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.